Hello, I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theatre writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Uphoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company, and this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 89 of Theatre Forward. Great. Good yeah. to be here. For this episode, we are going to reflect back on 2022 in the world of theatre, here and around the country, highlights, lowlights, all the things that we will remember most about this year. And, and to kick us off, this will be highly personal lists, I think. Um, but Mike, why don't you get us started? What's something on your 2022 list? Well, this is, I have both a highlight and a low light in this category. Um, it involves uh, critics. The highlight for me is a person who I've called out previously on this podcast is to me, maybe the best theater critic in America right now. And that's Helen Shaw, uh, who has been further elevated. She's had a meteoric rise and she's now the uh, theater critic for New Yorker magazine, um, which means that a lot of people who were firewalled and didn't get to read her when she was at New York or didn't read her when she was at Time Out are now going to have an opportunity to see how smart she is. I don't want to wade into in this celebratory podcast into the whole uh uh, K-pop controversy going on in New York right now involving critics. But if you want to read somebody who has something intelligent and measured and mixed and just good uh, to say about about that show, Helen Shaw's piece in The New Yorker would be a place to start. Uh, and then on the downside, sort of along the same lines, I'm very, very sad that we have lost Michael Feingold, um, who is one of the great uh, throwback critics from another generation um, in an era where I feel like way too many critics in this state and nationally are pulling their punches and not being truthful and, and, and also loving both of those things together, truthful, but also loving and engaged with the theater that they're supposed to be assessing. Um, Michael was all of that. Um, and he just pissed people off constantly um, because he was not afraid to say what he thought, but it was also clear he was approaching this as a fan. It's no accident that he was a literary manager uh, and dramaturg, uh, as well as um, as being a, a, a critic and a fan. Those three go together for a lot of critics who are really into this for the right reasons. Um, and, and Charles McNulty, another really great uh, theater critic in America at the L.A. Times, I've mentioned before, gave a beautiful shout out to him, which I highly recommend you read in American Theater Magazine, which really uh, it was a mixed review, I think would be the right way to say it, of, of Feingold and his career. Just one quote from Michael Feingold. This is his review from uh, part of his review from Mike Nichols' Death of a Salesman revival. And this is. Feingold to a T, quote, we own a tradition and we have the right to see it constantly living and made new. And that's him, somebody that re revered the past and everything it could give us, but also recognized the importance of moving forward. Mm, Mike, I want to I'm going to jump in next just because uh, also on my list is something that overlaps a little with what you were just talking about. And that is, again, something on both my my highlight and low light of the year is that we've seen some really exciting risk-taking in what's been happening on Broadway uh, in a way that's really um, thrilling. And, you know, Audrey Kennedy had her Broadway debut last week with the opening mm -hmm. of Ohio State Murders. I mean, that's incredible, um, long overdue, and I'm so glad it's happening while she is still with us, 91 and, and, and going strong. Um, but, 
uh, you know, other things too. I, Pictures from Home is in rehearsals right now, a script that we've loved and they've got a dynamite cast. That is going to be something really to see that play by Char White. Um, what, what's been going hand in hand with some exciting risk taking on Broadway is it's really highlighting um, some of the, it's sort of stress testing the whole ecosystem around what shows get produced. And again, you know, we could do a whole podcast uh, and probably won't about um, some of the, the controversy happening around um, the closing of K-pop, the, the um, imminent closing of Ain't No Mo. Um, but I think that some really pointed and important conversations about how Broadway is marketed and the ways in which it falls short in um, marketing shows with um, people of color in, in, in the focus of it and marketing to those audiences that that Broadway really, the, the marketing infrastructure does not serve that well. Um, and again, some, some real uh, uh, questioning of within the field of theater criticism, how do we diversify the voices so that plays by and about diverse characters are being reviewed. And it's not to say that white critics, white male critics shouldn't review these plays, but we should make sure that that perspectives beyond those are also being um, elevated and out there so that you get a, a robust and um, diversified perspective on these shows. And so um, I, I, get, I guess that's why it's on my high and low uh, list of the year. It's thrilling that so many risks are being taken. I think that those risks are not being supported as well as they could be by all of the other pieces of the puzzle that make the commercial theater tick. And um, hopefully as a field, as an industry, we're gonna learn from, from these controversies and these conversations and be able to do better in the future. Jumping onto that, Jen, um, two of my highlights happened in New York uh, just uh, this month. Um, one of them to your to both of your points, it um, walked the fine line of diversity and and um, a well established play, and that was Death of a Salesman. Um, I came for Wendell Pierce, who I have loved since The Wire. I left with the most, the greatest of admiration and respect. And um, Sharon D. Clark's Linda Lohman was maybe the best I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of Death of a Salesman, but it was grounded and it was true. And it wasn't a flighty woman in love with her husband because that's what housewives do. It, it was solid. <clears throat> and when she says respect must be paid, it rocked the house. And I will also say too, in terms of that audience, it was a beautiful mix of people. And that it was really gratifying to see how diverse that audience was. Um, I came, however, to New York or went to New York um, to uh, see Marie Kohler's Boswell. This is, um, there's been a lot of iterations of this. It started at Renaissance Theater Works as Boswell's Dreams, uh, like 18 years ago. It went um, to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in uh, 2019, and it was, uh, performed at 59 East 59th, um, written for Brian Monty to play Samuel Johnson. He has been the one constant throughout all of these performances. Um, but boy, there was a mix of beautiful cast, 
um, on a really small stage directed by Laura Gordon. Um, Jody Sekis did the um, scenic design with Tony Lyons building it. And it was exquisite and fun. And it's so good to see good friends succeed that way. Yeah, you know, that's my best. I'll come up with I'll, I'll I have other things that aren't so great, but those are the great <laughs> things. Well, I'll 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 stay with you, Julie, on things that were so great in terms of theater uh, closer closer to home. Um, some of the performances that stood out for me just just in Wisconsin. I'll start with that uh, in 2022. Three performances. I saw everything but one show at American Players Theater. I did not get to see. Uh, the rivals because the performance I was supposed to attend was canceled for COVID and I couldn't make it up. But I saw the other eight. Three really stood out for me. And and they are both, to Jen's point, one's very formally innovative. One is a sort of uh, veritable chestnut. And the well, two of them are sort of chestnuts. And and that's Stones, uh, Stones in His Pockets uh, with Marcus Straczynski and Nate Berger just killing it, playing so many people I can't even keep count of it all. Um, a, just a revelation of a raisin in the sun. I mean, I will be honest, I went to see that um, not only out of out of more of a sense of duty than anything else to APT and to Hansberry, because I've seen that show so many times. And, you know, like some Shakespeare plays, you, you feel like you want to give it a break. But boy, was I not uh, anticipating what I was going to get, particularly from Deanna D., uh, Reed Foster uh, in the role of the matriarch, who just a Chicago based actor, one of the many that American Players Theater is doing a very good job of bringing in over the last decade uh, and exposing Wisconsin audiences to just how great she is. And it turned the play from a play, um, you know, about Walter into a play about the women. Um, and it just completely, you know, shifted the focus. And then finally, the Moors. Um, with a cast of uh, of APT uh, and mostly APT ensemble members just doing what they do best and having fun in the touchstone in a way that they don't get to do elsewhere. And then in Milwaukee, the two best shows I I, I saw this year for me, uh, both came from the same theater, and that's Milwaukee Chamber Theater, um, both directed by Brent Hazelton, and that is Indecent uh, in the Spring and just a killer of, pun intended, of a performance of Misery uh, starring uh, Kelly Doherty and Jonathan Wainwright um, that just left me, I, it was the hundred fastest and and most awful minutes of my entire theater life in 2022. I couldn't wait to get out of there because it was so claustrophobic, but I was on the edge of my seat. And it featured just a world-class design team with special mentions for Josh Schmidt, Wisconsin-based, and for Noel Stolmack. You know, both of these nationally recognized uh, designers. Noel, of course, a member of the Forward Advisory Company. I'm so proud that she's one of my fellow advisory company members every time I watch her light, her lighting design. And I love Josh's sound design. So those were real standouts for me in 2022. A little, um, unless Jen, you have um, more Please. shows. I, I've been thinking about this a lot. And we talk about, um, you know, the death of theater. And Stephen Dietz has that incredible article about Keep saying it's going to die, it's going to die, it's going to die, and it lives. So I think it's alive. It will always be alive. I'm not concerned about that. What I am concerned about is the dearth of backstage um, work, crew, um, of technical directors, of carpenters. Um, those are positions that are not being trained right now in our colleges. And we are not seeing uh, people come out of these programs wanting to do that work. And um, 
that is that's a real concern. I think everybody is. Um, I, I would say I'll just take it from Wisconsin. Um, there's there's a sharing of the few individuals that are around, and I would love to go into uh, theater programs around this country and say. Uh, performing is great, so great, and um, you know, and and you'll love doing it when you can, while you can. But boy, if you want to make a career in this, think about picking up, uh, you know, a hammer, get into technical direction, and um, and I think you'd have a people will have a very long and uh, fulfilling career. Yeah. I think what I would bring up next, uh, again, it kind of marries something that's been a highlight for me of the year with something that is not so much. Um, and that is building on what you're saying, you know, the theater is dead, long live the theater. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, where we where we are as as a field in terms of developing new new work. Right. And there's a lot to be concerned about. Um, so many of the new play supporting programs um, that have uh, ended or paused over the last year or two. You look at the loss of Humana Festival, the Lark in New York, et cetera. Um, uh, a lot of concerns about lower ticket sales as we are still in the pandemic. It's not you know done with us yet. Um, a lot of worries that you need to only program um, program chestnuts that you, you need to do plays with title recognition, all of that. So those are all huge, uh, causes for concern and ticket buyers are down. I mean, we've seen it here and we hear it from our peers. Um, you know, single ticket buyers are starting to come back, but everybody's down in subscribers. You know, it's going to be years to build back for most of us to pre pandemic levels. So that's all very worrisome at the same time. Um, there are so many causes for hope and optimism, right? You look at the TCG list of the most produced playwrights in America and tied at the top of the list are Lynn Nottage and Lauren Gunderson, right? That's, that's a pretty good sign right there. Um, I will also say, you know, we, uh, I'm very proud of all of the shows that we did here at forward over the course of 2022 uh, all of them were fairly new plays. One was world premiere and, and the rest we were pretty early productions of. The two riskiest plays were our best sellers. That's really encouraging. Um, it's, it's very um, exciting to see that when we, when we go more out on a limb, we pick pl pl these plays that were challenging. I mean, they had a lot to reward the audience with. But uh, if you look at them on paper, they were very risky and those did the best in terms of ticket sales. And so that's something that I look back at. It's not even so much looking back at it with pleasure as more reminding myself of that as we go into the future and make make decisions that with risk comes reward if you're lucky. Yeah, I mean, one of those, I'm assuming this is what you're talking about. And, and I deliberately, when I give these and I guess I'm going to do a little uh, shouting out to forward now, which I try not to do in this <laughs> in this year and thing we do every year. I deliberately exclude forward plays when I, I give best of lists because it's there's a conflict of interest. But 
Having said that, my favorite play anywhere in Wisconsin in this year was Russian Troll Farm, um, which was produced by by Forward and which was a huge, you know, world premiere risk taking play um, of a short that just was wonderful. Just as the play I'm most looking forward to uh, right now in the spring of 2023 is our the world, you know, is our production of Airness, um, which will probably get to talk about sometime in the future. And again, a play that has gotten more circulation, but it's a new play. Um, it's not a play that's been produced professionally in Wisconsin. In both of those instances, you're seeing here, as you're seeing in other theaters in Wisconsin as well, theater companies who, despite the, the headwinds Jen's referring to, are willing to take chances. Um, and with that in mind, you know, just a few more shout outs outside of Wisconsin to, to, to bests of this year. All of these were very risky in different ways. Uh, in Chicago, uh, a Fiddler on the Roof by Barry Kosky, who's an opera director mostly, that has raised enormous controversy. People either loved it or hated it. But they, the reason that it got so much attention is because it was so different from any Fiddler anybody has ever seen uh, in ways that I could fill three podcasts with that won't do that here today. Um, also, um, Doug Wright's um, Goodnight Oscar, which is now slated for a Broadway opening in the spring after having had a very, very successful run uh, at Goodman Theater, a play that took chances with taking on the whole issue of political correctness, much in some of the same ways that the movie Tar did. I'm sort of saying we need to think about, you know, cancel culture and political correctness in more sophisticated ways and rather than in the binary, it's all good or all bad ways that we've been thinking about them. And it was a gutsy play um, for that reason. And finally, Steppenwolf's production by ensemble, uh, Steppenwolf ensemble member uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney of Choir Boy, um, a very sort of quote unquote avant-garde play. Yes, it's been done in New York. Um, Chicago doesn't always get to do all the best, most innovative plays first, just usually. Um, and it was a fantastic uh, uh, production, raising all kinds of difficult issues of the way the way McCraney always does about what it means to be black in America, about what it means to be gay and black in America, about toxic masculinity in American culture and done in a way that was just beautifully rendered and really made you think as you left the theater. Those plays made me excited, as did all the other ones I've called out so far. It's fascinating that we've come out of this pandemic. And, and like you said, Jen, we're not we're not completely out, but uh, hopefully we're, we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and instead of people going back to two handers and and really um, focusing on the plays that they think their audience will love and that have heard of, um, I feel like most companies were taking bigger chances this year. And um, you do, you disagree? I'm seeing your face. I, I just need a little face. I think uh, there I think was a lot. Yeah, I, I just think um, there was more chances than there were that I saw in like the 2009 where, where it, it felt like this entire state hunkered down and three a three-person cast became a very big cast. And and I didn't I didn't see sure. that this time. That's not what was happening in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think my 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 not sure about that face is that I think we tend to follow and pay attention to the companies that do the work that excites that us. Could be. And I do think there's a lot of companies that did hunker down and do um small and and you know, known crowd pleasing plays. And I and I get it, right? Like, you know, do you have the um, the resources to take risks in such a risky time. Right. Um, so, so no, 
right yeah. here on this podcast, being rewarded for their choice, you know, to take chances. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but yes, I do think I think that there were there were plenty of companies that that by choice or by necessity, you know, really did play it safe this year. And um, and I can't I can't blame them for doing so. But I, I think a highlight is seeing I, and, and I think your point comparing it to the um, the way folks, you know, made decisions in the wake of the financial crisis of 2008, 2009 is is maybe illustrative because a lot of the folks who are making decisions in this particular crisis were also making decisions or at least in the room with the decision makers during the last one. So there was perhaps a bit of learning from that and learning that sometimes you actually have to go big to get yourself out of a hole, right? That little incremental steps aren't going to save us. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, continuing my trend of, of sort of pairing something that was really so great and that I valued so highly about the year with uh, something um, that I was sad or disappointed about. Um, one of the highlights uh, for me of this year has continued to be these conversations with my peers around the country as facilitated by Theater Communications Group. Um, there have been several uh, different groups that I've been able to be a part of, um, and, and these have been phenomenally valuable uh, conversations, learning spaces, um, sympathy spaces. Uh, you know, one of the conversations I do get to do every two weeks is to talk to other artistic directors around the country of theaters that are in roughly the same annual budget size as mine. Um, I'm also on a group of folks with the, uh, the same kinds of contracts that we have with the actors union to talk about issues that we're having there and just being connected with hearing from, learning from, um, being empathetic with colleagues who are doing the same things that we're doing, or at least are facing the same headwinds, uh, to use your word, Julie, that we are, um, has been an enormous um, value add to my, to my year. I've learned so much it's been very reassuring. You know, you go, oh, our, our subscribers are down more than we expected. Then you hear, oh, no, everybody's are, right? You, then you can stop beating yourself up that you've done something wrong and more like this is the world that we're in right now, um, that sort of thing. So that's been an enormous um, gift uh, during the year. One of the things that I will say has been tremendous during 2022 for me, but that I'm very worried about as we go into the new year is, and I've talked about it before, but my, my theater Twitter community, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the theater artists and thinkers who I follow on Twitter, from whom I learn so much, from whom I, I hear examples of, of brilliant things and brilliant thinking happening all over the country, diverse viewpoints, innovative ways of doing things, um, great dialogue about um, the issues that we're all facing. Uh, that has been one of the greatest reasons why I have been on Twitter is, is all of this um, community and, and education that I've had access to. Obviously, that is rapidly going away. And we we do not need to talk more about the pay your eight bucks dumpster fire. <laughs> the dumpster no, no, Mike, fire. they got rid of that. Yeah, that is uh, that is uh, that is Twitter. Um, but it's an enormous loss to the field. It is truly an enormous loss to the field. And uh, I have no doubts that at some point in the future there will become a gathering space that people will find yeah. each other on again. But that is not going to happen quickly. So for the intervening probably years before we really find ourselves on mass in a uh, communal space, um, 
we have lost something that is of tremendous value, not just to me, but to the entire field. Um, and that is uh, that, yeah, I'm really depressed about it. Uh, yeah, another another quick aside, and this is a positive and a negative on on, <laughs> on on Twitter. Which for me to be positive about it all is, of course, a struggle. Um, but Jenny O'Dell had who wrote How to Do Nothing, um, you know, really really great uh, book about the way in which we pay attention and don't, and what social media does to that. Had a fantastic column, and uh, let's see, yesterday. So for those listening, December eleventh, uh, uh, twenty twenty two, New York Times Sunday in Review, um, about the ways in which social media needs to be used more purposefully. It's not a luddite column. She's not saying Twitter's bad. She's just saying she wants people to use Twitter the way Jen uses Twitter um, and, and uh, you know, and, and in a more targeted and focused way. Um, a positive and negative for for me, I mean, I'll, I'll go with Jen's dialectical approach to this because I think it's good, um, is some of the people who have left us or who are leaving us um, uh, and some of some of whom you want to celebrate for just the amazing things that they did. Uh, and in terms of artistic directors in Chicago, this has been a cataclysmic year in terms of shifting. Um, and three that I want to call, well, really four, counting a, 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 one of them's an in tandem pairing. Uh, but we're, we're losing Bob Falls at Goodman Theater, who uh, did so much to turn that into the world-class institution it is. Barbara Gaines, uh, the founding artistic director at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, is leaving us. You know, ditto. Uh, and then also, you know, maybe less known to some of our theater audiences, but certainly known to anybody who's uh, a musical uh, theater geek, uh, Terry James, managing director, and Aaron Teal, an artistic director at Marriott Theater, also announced the retirement. So, you know, we'll see what the future holds. Goodman's already named a successor, Susan Booth, who was sort of the artistic director in training for that job anyway, uh, even when she was away in Atlanta and is now being brought back to Chicago. Very excited about that. The other, you know, we'll, we'll see where we go. Uh, but then also I want to call out one actual, uh, you know, there'll be plenty of um, uh, praise given, you know, in year in retrospectives to Sidney Poitier and Angela Lansbury. We don't need to go through that here on this more localized podcast, but I do want to give a special shout out to Hollis Resnick, one of the great actors of her generation. Um, did Wounded Souls better than anybody I can think of that I've seen on a stage in Chicago. Um, truly somebody who was not only a fantastic actor and who we got to see plenty of in Wisconsin uh, as well, but also had a fantastic voice. And she was will be dearly, uh, dearly missed. We lost her in April. Mm, yeah, brilliant, brilliant artist. Thanks for that, Mike. Julie, anything else you want to add from your I list? I think, you know, if we're uh, saying thank you and goodbye for a really wonderful career closer to home is David Cesarini at Next Act Theater. Um, I think... Uh, uh, he was a founder of Next Act with, um, you know, it was a combined, combined theater with Next Generation and Tesseract. And, and what we, what we sometimes lose sight of, and, and I agree, Mike, that Bob Falls had an incredible career, but Bob Falls couldn't have had an incredible career without all of the people that were supporting him to have a great career. Call sign, yep. And, and, and the staff and the stage managers and the, you know, every, the, the director of marketing. He could not have done it without all these people. And I think sometimes these, the end of the year um, celebrations of these people's incredible careers don't always celebrate the people um, uh, by whom they were successful. And um, there's an awful lot of really wonderful people. You know, I think of um, Michael 
uh, Michael Wright, Jessica Connolly, were all at Next Act for a long time and part of part of David's. Well, and just really quickly, um, uh, Julie, along the same lines, another Wisconsinite who has left us, and this goes to, this will be near and dear to your heart as a managing director, but, you know, for all the success that is rightly attributed to Brenda DeVita and um, David Frank before her uh, at APT, uh, you know, Carrie Van Halgren was the managing director there for eight years, is now going to be the assistant dean to the humanities division at UW-Platteville, uh, her, her hometown. Um, so, you know, bittersweet for her and for us, but I mean, I will miss her. I will miss her, uh, just her dedication. I will also miss her just basic decency as a human being. Um, and during some very, very difficult moments at APT for me in particular, in terms of my relationship, uh, with them in the past, Carrie was the person that stepped up continually, uh, with respect. Uh, and with a willingness to see things from an alternative points of view be, uh, above and beyond her own. And I, I will never forget that. Yeah, she's she's the best, uh, really. Uh, we will miss her. <laughs> yeah, miss her as a colleague. We're glad, glad she's sticking around the state in the arts, at least. Right. Um, uh, I've got one more pairing of, of something I really found a highlight of the year and, and a low light. Um, worth mentioning, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll save the highlight for last, uh, so we can end on a better note, um, <laughs> at least from my list, but, um, you know, for the low light and, you know, we saw this coming, but the complete lack of government support for the arts this year, um, again, we knew it was coming, you know, nobody expected that the, um, the significant amount of financial support that was given to arts organizations during the height of the pandemic was going to continue at that level. Um, but the fact that the money basically just completely disappeared when our challenges have only begun, uh, was, it was disappointing, not surprising, but disappointing, you know, all of that federal money gone. I mean, there's still NEA grants, but that's, you know, a fraction of a fraction of a percent only helps a very, very small number of organizations. Um, that's about it at the federal level. Um, you know, Wisconsin continues. Oh, I, I think we might have moved up to 48th in the country from 49th in terms of our funding. I may be wrong. I may be wrong, but it is it is horrifyingly small. Um, and to add truly insult to injury, uh, you know, even the minimal funding that was coming from the state arts board through no fault of the arts board, um, came almost a year late to all of our organizations because the committee that needed to approve the money that was already budgeted uh, refused to put it on the agenda from month after month after month. And that money came very, very, very late to organizations. Some of who, some of those organizations, that money was a lifeline and that they had to wait so long to get those funds that had already been allocated by the state because the a committee didn't prioritize the three minutes to check off the box was um, insulting in addition to being painful for a lot of organizations. And, you know, at the, at the local county and city level, there's just, there's almost no money and what little, little bit of money there is um, because it's, you know, governmentally based, the process for applying for it is so burdensome that uh, I think in some ways it's more penalizing to arts organizations to even apply for the money uh, than, than it's worth because you spend so many hours to do the application, 
to do all the reporting and the money that they have to give out is now so, so minuscule that I think for a lot of organizations, it costs you to apply for those funds. And so from the federal level, right down all the way down, it is, um, it's depressing. And if I can get on my soapbox for a moment, it's a little infuriating because it's not just, oh, we need it. It's not just, oh, the arts are important. It's we're also an enormous economic driver for our communities. And the money that gets invested by the government in arts organizations pays back manifold to our communities. And so the short-sightedness and, and lack of respect for the field really, um, it gripes me. <laughs> so, uh, I'm with you. Yes, yes, but, yes. But, uh, but for a high note, and this, this you know, reflects back on uh, the last, most recent episode of the podcast, um, this has been a year where at, at many theaters and arts organizations around the country, we've seen a, a heightened uh, emphasis on accessibility. And I mean, accessibility for folks with all kinds of um, physical needs or other other kinds of needs that theaters can can make efforts to meet and to be a welcoming space for all. Um, I see I'm seeing that all over the place. I know that that has been a major area of growth for us here. This was the first year, 2022, when every single one of our main stage productions had an ASL interpreted performance. Um, um, that's something that is is really exciting to me, and I think that that's um, a something I will remember about this year and I'm excited to build on in the future. Uh, continuing with the same sort of upbeat approach and Jen, I'm glad that you sort of turned it around so I didn't have to follow your, your very <laughs> correct and very upsetting um, diagnosis of the way in which the arts are funded in America. It's truly depressing. Um, I'll end with, this is cheating only a little. I'm going to suggest three stocking stuffers. Two of them refer to things in early 2023, but hey, they were announced in 2022. The first, <laughs> one, the first one, though, uh, is the best theater, new theater book that I read in 2022, and it's John Lars Arthur Miller uh, biography. Um, it's relatively short. You know, John Lahr, great theater critic forever, um, mostly with The New Yorker, also somebody that's written so many good books. His biography of Ten Tennessee Williams, I'm on record in my review is saying one of the best and most extraordinary biographies I've ever read in any field. Sarah Rule says no one writes about playwrights in theater history the way John Lahr does. Um, and it, it, this new book on Miller is just terrific. It's not just a sort of slog through, you know, from cradle to grave biography. He takes particular themes that were important in Miller as a person and in his work and uses those to sort of plumb the depths of, of what he is all about. And it's relatively short, unlike the Williams biography, which was a doorstopper. This one clocks in at under, under 300 pages. That would be a great stocking stuffer. Two more above and beyond. Again, I'm trying to leave forward to the side above and beyond. Of course, you should all if you're within viewing distance or, you know, uh, driving distance. Get a ticket to Airness. It is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen on a forward <laughs> theater stage. It's about an air guitar competition directed by the great Molly Rohde. That'll be our first production in 2023. Two more stocking stuffer ideas, one in Chicago, one in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, uh, a really star-studded production of the great uh, uh, Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with actors including three Wisconsin legends, or two, two legends and one legend in the making, I should say. Uh, the legends being Laura Gordon uh, and Jim Ridge, and then Casey Hoekstra, rightly a favorite uh, uh, in Wisconsin, is also going to be in that, in that cast. And then in Chicago, 
those of you that read the, the columns I wrote for Forward during the pandemic will remember me frequently praising Emma Rice, uh, a British-based uh, director and artistic director. She did a fantastic show on the Chagall marriage, which I just wish somebody would do in the United States called Flying Lovers of the Tepsk. Her show, Wuthering Heights, is coming to the Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Uh, the dates on that are January 27th to February 19th. It is a fantastic, you don't have to love Bronte or love Wuthering Heights, although if you don't, there's something wrong with you. But if you don't, you'll <laughs> still love this show. It's a terrific show. Uh, and then and then the dates on the Virginia Wolf are January 20th to February 12th. So if you want a good stocking stuffer idea, those are three. Love it. But Mike, I have to correct you. You don't have to be within driving distance of Madison oh, the, to see Forward Theater shows that this spring because we will be doing filmed digital versions as well. I would not be doing closed my job. captioning. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, I mean, if we're finishing and with your accessibility theme, things to celebrate in 2022, I can't think of, there's probably a few, but the idea of a theater company, which has consistently from the start of the pandemic, made it shows accessible to audiences anywhere in the world online with the, ex the expenses involved in that, which we have talked about in, in, in prior productions. That is huge. It's a huge time consuming issue uh, for people like Scott Hayden, you know, sitting here producing this uh, podcast. Uh, it's a huge issue for our, uh, you know, in terms of bringing in the extra cameras. It's a huge issue in terms of the, you know, getting this out there. It's a huge issue in terms of closed captioning it. It's something that we have made a commitment to, and I am so proud in terms of our accessibility initiatives that this has been one of them. So yes, you can virtually watch people virtually play the guitar in 2023. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's more great. fun to experience it with others, but <laughs> if you can't, I can't make it to the theater. All right. I love it. Well, I always uh, love talking with all, with all of you about the the uh, the ups and downs of this this uh this wild business and it is always a highlight of my year doing yes, this indeed. podcast with with all of you um and i think i think we will say that that is it for this episode of theater forward a conversation about theater in wisconsin the midwest and america thank you so much for joining us i'm jenna poff gray i'm julie swenson and I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by the amazing Scott Hayden. Um, and you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook uh, and Twitter. That's at Theater Forward, as always, in 2022, in 2023, from now until the end of time with an <laughs> E-R. <laughs> <laughs> and if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And be sure to leave a comment. We would love to hear from you. We're so grateful to have you listening and we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.